The following program is for adult audiences only. Stephen Lancaster's Ghost Story is proudly sponsored by the Shadow Initiative Paranormal Talk Podcast. What you are about to hear is a true case file from paranormal investigator Stephen Lancaster. was just no escaping who I was or who I am. Since I was a kid, the paranormal had been an obsession of mine. That obsession led to becoming a full-time paranormal researcher and author of paranormal phenomena. I attempted to walk away from the field, even if just for a little bit, but it lured me back in with its curious magnetism. I think it is safe to say my life is still firmly planted in the world of the supernatural and unexplained. My life has been one unbelievable event after the other. Just when I get comfortable and think that I have seen and done it all, another wave of charming irresistibility comes crashing in, sending me into the deep waters of unpredictability. Sometimes the waters of those eventful oceans I am drowning in is so cloudy that it's hard to determine which way to swim to find air. Sometimes I swim deeper and sometimes I find a breath. However, many times the sea of curiosity I so frequently float in often takes me places that become unhealable mental and physical scars. During the summer of 2015, I would find myself once again being challenged with the unbelievable task of finding the truth to supernatural mysteries. Once again, I would find myself raising the tolerance on the bar of belief. Christina and I were engaged at this point and I was slowly working my way back to a normal life. But she received a call concerning a normal paranormal case I just could not say no to. But it wasn't quite so normal. It's not often you hear of a real estate agent refusing to show a property he or she is attempting to sell to another party because they're so frightened of it. Especially a property that was on the market for nearly 25 years. However, we were talking about a sensitive structure hidden away in the thick and uncharted woods of Southern Pines, North Carolina. On the other hand, we were speaking about a geographical area that was historic due to its age and historical importance. At one point in time, the location acted as a Haitian slave refuge. Yet Jacob and Angela McKenzie struggled to even get a glimpse of the building other than from a few old photographs available on the internet. The structure was so lost in the Timberland that not even popular mapping programs online could catch an aerial glimpse of it. But the McKenzie family pursued the real estate agency despite their vague excuses and mysterious demeanor concerning the unique ground they were responsible for selling. For the most part, it was a case of sight unseen for the McKenzies, but it was more or less the location they desired. The family wanted isolation and something they could renovate to their liking and hopefully, in the end, call home. 
Finally, after tiresome attempts, the real estate agent made arrangements for the couple to tour the property, and that tour came with an odd and surprising catch. The agent wasn't going. I am sure it happens here or there, but I personally haven't heard of a story where a key is handed to someone to view a house without the supervision of the seller. But that is how it was done, and the Mackenzies took a drive into a forgotten forest with a disturbing past yet to be revealed. 25 years ago, the property was owned by an elderly lady whose death was a mystery all in itself. Her mailbox was just shy of a mile away from the hidden property. On one cold and snowy morning in January, she made the trek to check her mail, but she never returned home. Her body was discovered by the mail person a day later. She was face down in the snow wearing nothing but her underwear. It was a strange discovery indeed as her death was considered natural, but the question remained as to why in the middle of winter an elderly lady would be walking nearly a mile in just her underwear to check the mail. It was only speculation that her motive was the mail. The box was never opened and the mail was still inside. One might wonder that something off-putting happened at her house that day and she just wasn't going to check the mail at all. She was fleeing and was so desperate to leave the house she didn't even get dressed. However, no investigation took place at her house. 25 years later, the McKenzie family ultimately purchased the home. Angela Jacob and his now retired father, Police Chief McKenzie, moved into the mysterious and out of sight home. Shortly after moving in, strange occurrences began to take place. The activity started out subtle, with lights flickering off and on, and anomalous sounds such as random knocking. The Mackenzies blamed old wiring and just the sounds of an old house. They weren't really believers in ghosts and a haunting, so believing their house was haunted wasn't something they were really willing to accept. Two weeks after moving into the home, Jacob discovered something rather odd in the attic. He was in the process of storing much of his father's belongings up there when he noticed unfamiliar words written in another language carved into the back wall. Bondier yo camade crimio, nuba benediction so nu, bon senye ate adon vanyans, was carved very carefully into one of the wooden boards of the wall. Knowing the property at one point in time was a Haitian slave refuge, Jacob was right to assume the language he was looking at was Haitian. I would later translate the ancient text for the Mackenzie family. Translated, it read, Their God commandeth crimes. Ours giveth blessings upon us. The good Lord had ordained vengeance. Further research would reveal that that phrase was used often in a prayer during voodoo ceremonies. I could only speculate as to why that prayer was carved into the wall of their attic, but it was evident to me that some sort of revenge was being sought. Maybe it was something directed towards the old owners of the Haitian slaves. I just don't know. But it was a curious discovery regardless. Two months after getting settled into their new home, tragedy struck the Mackenzie family. Without warning, without any reason of concern, former police chief McKenzie was found dead in the attic. He hanged himself. This, of course, was quite the shock to the family. 
Nobody saw it coming, and he wasn't the type to be suicidal. It wasn't long after his death that the strange activity in the house began to escalate, but this time the McKenzie family became more open-minded and believed it was the old police chief haunting the property, and they had good reason to consider that. Angela had started mimicking methods of paranormal research that she unfortunately saw on television in hopes of learning more about the activity in their house. She bought herself an audio recorder to conduct her own communication sessions. The reason she was so concerned and adamant about learning more was the fact that the escalating activity was always being directed towards her. Jacob's father, the former police chief, never cared for Angela. In fact, he tried everything in his power to prevent his son from marrying her. So it was never a big secret that he didn't like her. Angela reported hearing her name being spoken from a person that wasn't there, and the voice was always male. She even claimed to have seen the full-bodied spirit of the old police chief standing in the kitchen at one point. That was something her husband refused to believe at first. Objects were thrown at her, and she said it was always pennies coming out of nowhere directly at her. But it wasn't until her life became threatened that both her and her husband knew it was time to seek out professional help. Angela was walking up the stairs to grab a box of stuff that she had stored in the attic. She said when she entered the attic, an overwhelming chill came over her entire body. This was in the middle of summer, and it was easily over 100 degrees in that attic. So being hit with a cold spot in the center of the attic was something to definitely not take lightly. She grabbed the box she was looking for and started making her way back to the stairs. It was at that point events took a turn for the worse. Angela went to take her first step back down to the kitchen when all of a sudden she was violently shoved from behind. Angela fell face down the entire flight of steps and was knocked unconscious when she hit the bottom. Her husband had heard the fall and immediately ran to her aid. She was bleeding, battered, and soon to be badly bruised. Once she regained consciousness, she explained to her husband what had happened. He wasted no time running up to the attic to investigate. In his mind, he believed an intruder must have been in the house. But to his surprise, he found nothing. Even Angela was convinced a living, breathing person had shoved her. She said it was just all too real. Shortly after, Angela contacted me through social media. My fiancé was the one to see the message, read her story, and quickly call her. Angela explained everything from beginning to end. She was seeking help to eradicate the spirit and discover its identity. Christina briefed me on everything, and we were off to Southern Pines with all of our equipment in tow. We finally arrived after many failed attempts on finding the property. This area was so out there, our cell phones wouldn't even work. GPS was out of the question. Mr. McKenzie had placed an American flag next to the mailbox at the end of the long road, and that was how we ultimately found the location. After we arrived, the couple filled us in on everything that occurred, and we of course quizzed them on the old police chief. The more we knew about him, the better chance we would have in breaking the communication barrier. They told us he loved women. Apparently, he wasn't such a faithful guy. He was also an avid golfer. Along with all of his old police gear, his favorite golf clubs were also stored in the attic. The McKenzies told us that they would be staying with friends for the next few nights while we investigated their home. They said they did not want to be anywhere near the property, nor did they want to interfere with our research. 
They gave me instructions on how to lock the place up when we were finished and they were on their way. They had a pretty nice bar installed in their main living area and that's where we set up all of our cases, bags, and everything else concerning our research equipment. We knew the attic was going to be a hot spot according to all of the stories we heard so much of our focus was going to be up there. Christina and I started our investigation by splitting up. She remained downstairs and I went to the attic. We had radios on us to communicate with one another if needs be and I was so glad that we did. When I first entered the attic I took a picture of the entire room with a digital camera. I was shocked to see a weird mist about six foot long hovering around the light in the center of the room. I went to take more pictures but by the time I did the mist was gone. I could not find a source of any kind that could have caused that unexplainable anomaly. From there I sat down in the middle of the attic to begin a communication session. My goal was to bring out the ghost of Police Chief McKenzie. Both my camera and my audio recorders were operating so I could document anything that may happen. I wasn't three questions in when the first paranormal occurrence took place. I simply asked that if somebody was in the room could they please make their presence known. No sooner did I ask that question but two knocks came from the wall adjacent to me. These were loud knocks like those you would hear if somebody was outside your front door. I contacted Christina on the radio and asked her if she had bumped into something or moved something below me. She did not. She had been sitting on one of the couches quietly since I entered the attic. I remained sitting in the same spot and continued asking questions, although the knocking never happened again. As I was sitting there, my camera, without warning, powered off. This shocked me because I had just placed a brand new fully charged battery on it. After a few attempts to power it back on, I had no choice but to put another battery on it. The camera then powered back up perfectly. The battery drain led me to believe that the spirit in the attic was pulling energy to further communicate with me. This was when I felt it would be a good idea to switch out with Christina since our old ghost had a thing for women. Maybe he would be more apt to communicate further with her. So I hit her up on the radio and we switched spots. I was now sitting on the couch below. I set my audio recorder and radio on the coffee table in front of me to capture any phantom sounds that may have taken place while I was sitting there. But my goal was to be as quiet as possible as not to disturb Christina above me. Christina decided to walk around in the attic during her time up there while she was filming. Nothing was happening immediately. However, downstairs, where I was sitting, was about to become eye-opening and very interesting. As I sat in silence, the radio I had placed on the coffee table keyed up. That means it beeped as if someone on the other end was trying to reach me. Before I could even grab it to see if Christina had tried to make contact, the radio came on again, but this time it was nothing but static and a single word being uttered. I knew what I had heard, but wasn't quite sure, so I contacted Christina and asked her if she had said anything over the radio. She confirmed she had said nothing. I immediately grabbed my audio recorder to play back what came over the radio. My jaw dropped when through the static I heard a male voice say William. This was amazing to hear and further validated what the McKenzies believed. Former police chief McKenzie's first name was William. This was a huge step not only for the investigation but for the level of communication we were, we were attempting to reach. Meanwhile back in the attic Christina was about to have an experience of her own. 
She was still walking through the attic, in and all around all of the boxes, and something startled her to the point that she dropped her camera. While she was walking around, she continued to ask questions, hoping to garner some sort of response. As soon as she asked whether or not it was true if he really liked women, Christina was grabbed from behind. Something unseen had grabbed her left arm, forcing her to drop her camera into a complete 180 degree turn. She honestly expected me to be standing there because the grab felt just like a person. She picked up her camera and contacted me on the radio. She explained what had just happened and I was left sitting on the couch more and more impressed. Actual physical contact with the spirit is every paranormal researcher's dream as long as that contact isn't violent in nature. So our good old ghost William made himself quite known to Christina. Following that incident, her and I swapped out positions again and I was back in the attic. Little did I know I was only moments away from recording some rather captivating footage on my camera. I continued with my line of communication. I asked if William could knock for me again, but he failed to do so. I then asked if it was him that knocked for me initially. At that moment, as if he was answering me, a golf club swung off of the wall and began swaying back and forth. I had not noticed the bag of clubs hanging on the wall until that moment. In fact, I didn't even notice the golf club move. I heard it first. It just sounded like something rubbing against something else. Luckily for me, my camera was facing in that direction and I was able to see the golf club shift from the bag, come back off of the wall, and then begin swaying until it slowly came to a stop. It was intriguing to watch. It was hypnotizing. The club never left the bag but was able to move out of it enough to swing back and forth right in front of me. This was huge. Now we had a voice, we had a name, we had physical contact, and finally a significant object moving. Golf was his game, according to the McKenzies. But it didn't stop there. I kept asking questions. I asked if that was him that moved the golf club. Could he move something else? Within a few moments, a boot came flying out of one of the boxes and hit the floor in front of me. This happened so all of a sudden that I jumped back and blurted out a few... Well, choice naughty words. Now this I did see with my own two eyes, as well as documenting it with my camera. I walked over and picked the boot up off the floor. It was a standard issue boot worn by police officers. This was yet another piece of the puzzle that for me completed the whole picture. We had our ghost, and it was the ghost of Jacob's father. The name William, the golf club, Christina being grabbed... And the police issue boot flying across the room said just about everything that needed to be said. The night was growing long and it was closing in on me and Christina packing up, but William wasn't going to let us go without another surprise. As we were approaching the bar where all of our cases and bags were, one by one they were thrown to the floor. Now they weren't picked up in the air and thrown. They were slid to the edge of the bar until they fell. Each one did this right in front of Christina and myself. I'm not sure if he was telling us to pack up and leave or if he was telling us to stay. Either way, that was an excellent paranormal force to witness. The night had been a very productive one for us, and this was one of the few times in my career I was able to pin down an entity for a spirit haunting a location in just one night. It is very rare to document something so fast, and it all just came together nice in a nice tight conclusion. 
The following day, we met up with the family to show them all of the footage we documented and explain our personal experiences. I honestly in good conscience couldn't tell if the McKenzie family that their ghost was a sinister spirit that had evil intentions. During our investigation, everything we experienced was benign. There was nothing ever threatening directed towards me or Christina. The majority of the supernatural occurrences we witnessed were attempts to communicate, not intimidate. However, they were the ones that had to live with it, and they certainly weren't living comfortably. I guess getting shoved down a flight of steps would do that. I definitely think there is a lot more to the history of that house, from the real estate agent refusing to enter the home, to the mysterious death of the last owner, to the shocking death of the police chief. Everything pointed to that historic building harboring dark supernatural secrets. It acted as a beacon of spiritual energy in my book. It's hard to say if the Haitians had cursed it because none of the paranormal experiences pointed to them. Maybe they knew something powerful was in that house and their message on the attic wall was a threat to it. Regardless, the true ghost of the home was the old police chief and we proved that. Between his name being revealed over the radio and the movement of the objects that related to his past life, everything just pointed to the old police chief. We of course presented all of this to the McKenzie family and Angela didn't seem all that surprised. Everything honestly did point towards Jacob's deceased father haunting the house. At this point, Jacob wasn't in such denial anymore. It was heartbreaking to see his eyes water when he heard his father speak over the radio. The family bared it for another four years, and I think that was because Jacob didn't want to leave his father. After the haunting of Angela grew tiresome, she was never attacked again. But the ghost was constantly reminding her he was there. The Mackenzies sold the property in 2019. It's a small world for sure because they ended up buying a new house right next to me and Christina. We were shocked to see them moving in. They became our new neighbors and brought all of the old police chief's belongings with them. Time will tell if former police chief McKenzie came with them. If he did, at least we are right next door for the time being. If you enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes, give us a rating, and leave a review. Please follow us on Facebook and subscribe via iTunes. Join Stephen on Facebook at facebook.com slash welcome to the initiative. That's facebook.com slash welcome to the initiative.